Hello, podcast listeners. This is Daniel Friedlander, and this is the Nintendo Podcast, or LithCast, episode number 52 for November 2nd, listeners this is daniel friedlander and this is lithcast episode number 52 as always very good to be with you all i apologize a little bit for the uh different audio quality um i'll tell you one thing as a mac user which i am proud to say that i am uh is that uh, os 10.6 snow leopard is not exactly the best thing for compatibility and what amazes me is that um, this far into having the operating system be out, we still have problems um, concerning compatibility. Uh, and it's not just compatibility with just with random stuff. It's compatibility with um, a very well-known and very widely used sound card that I use um, called an M-Box for recording. And it's just amazing to me that this stuff isn't supported very well yet i mean even by uh, some of these companies and i just i don't know i figure that um it's amazing because you sort of think of snow leopard as sort of this incremental upgrade that apple did to their operating system and yet here i am sitting here using another microphone which is a usb mic and um uh try to make it sound as good as possible but of course it won't be nearly as nice as my you know analog microphone that goes into a sound card Regardless, uh, it's very good to be with all of you and uh, good to uh, be speaking with all of you. Uh, it's LithCast episode 52, as I said already, and um, we have quite a bit to talk about regarding Nintendo and really nothing else to talk about regarding Mac OS X, uh, unless, of course, you think that it's related somehow. And then in which case, you should definitely send me an email to daniel at lithcast.com. That's daniel at L-I-T-H-C-A-S-T dot com. And let me know why exactly Nintendo and Apple are, are uh, connected. Certainly the case has been made before. There have been numerous stories about Apple buying Nintendo at one point or another. Of course, it's looking more and more like with the iPod Touch that Apple sort of got their own uh, gaming play and that they may not need to buy Nintendo, of course. Nintendo is um, stock-wise currently ripe for the picking because they're about $30 down from their all-time high of $72 or so. Anyway, so as I mentioned, we have quite a bit to talk about uh, and most of it's good news and I also have had a lot to talk about uh, regarding LithCast, the actual website itself. So in... um, 
traditional Lithcast form, I guess I will start in talking about the song you just heard. Then we'll talk a bit about Lithcast, and then we'll get into the Nintendo news and opinion. Uh, so first off, the song you heard was the uh, Kimono Girls theme from uh, Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Um, don't tell Nintendo, but that was actually the official version. At any rate, um, the reason I bring this up is because Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver uh, are now are out in Japan. If you want to get ROMs for them, that's completely up to you. And, and of course, I'm sure if you're doing that, you own the games. But uh, as I mentioned, it's currently out in Japan, and it will be released in the United States at least, I believe, next spring. We don't really have a date for it here in the United States. And um, though I complain, but of course a lot of other regions don't have a date, even a time frame. Um, at least in the U.S. we have somewhat of a time frame. And um, of course you can always import the games if, if you know Japanese. Um, all we know is spring 2010. But I'm just very excited for this game. To me, this is the most exciting game coming from Nintendo, and which by extension means for me as a person uh, for the next, for the foreseeable future. Although I'm also excited about The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Of course, I write for the Hylia now, and I run stuff there. And I'm, we're trying to, of course, uh, work on getting Spirit Tracks early. It's, to me, the uh, Phantom Hourglass didn't really set me up doesn't set me up for really high expectations for phantom hourglass whereas pokemon heart gold and soul silver i think are really their remakes or they're building upon the best pokemon games we've ever seen which are pokemon gold and silver introducing so many new features into the franchise that even today are not uh, exploited um or only recently being re uh, being dug up again for example they had the uh, clock and different times in the safari zone you would be able to catch different types of Pokemon. So it varies. And of course, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but the Pokemon franchise is what really brought me into gaming and what got me into uh, Nintendo. So of course, it's very near and dear to my heart. It's a, it is a personal bias, obviously, but uh, that's how it is. Uh, but the reason I play the Kimono Girls theme, because of course, I love Pokemon music, but I really love Pokemon battle music, which because I, I just think it has a really, it's very upbeat. It's a... Uh, it gives you a certain sense of urgency. I mean, you really are. You feel like you're almost like you're battling some sometimes. And the music is very important to a, any game, really, but especially to games with uh, battles because you really have to uh, get the player involved and get them to uh, have a certain a somatic body response to what is going on in the game. And I think that's especially hard with a mo with uh, handheld games, which traditionally all Pokemon games, with the exception of a few here and there. At least the defining Pokemon games have all been uh, handheld systems. And I think uh, certainly the music is extremely important. I think we can all agree to that. But the reason I picked the Kimono Girls song is because I think it's just emblematic of Pokemon Gold and Silver. Um, there's some great music in Gold and Silver. Some of my favorite songs come from there. The uh, Rival the, the rival Battle is one. It's just a really very interesting deviation from some of the usual um, battle music that they do. But I, I think it's in very good taste. Although, to be quite honest, I listened to the new version of the rival battle music in Pokemon Gold, or Heart Gold and Soul Silver, and I, just to be honest, was not too impressed. There are a few songs that I really did like what they did with um, 
the team rocket battle was very nice the train the regular just uh trainer battle was very nice um and then also they did a battle uh, the the champion battle also uh is is also very good um but i was a little bit disappointed of course with the um like like i said with the rival battle and just to give you so i just chose the kimono girls because of course they're just only in that game and they um of course if you don't remember who they are they're a bunch of girls in kimonos and who you battle but they have all these different i believe they're evolutions of eevee and um you fight them i think they're in the second or third town that you visit i you know i'm drawing a blank of course i will remember all of this and be proficient in pokemon ease in spring of 2010 when i finally get the game uh so that's very exciting. Um, it's what I'm. It's the game I'm looking forward to. And as I said, looking forward to Spirit Tracks as well. But I just don't have a great precedence uh, set with uh, Phantom Hourglass. If Spirit Tracks could be a little more like Wind Waker, I would be very pleased. But I don't know if it's really shaping up to be that way. Um, of course, I have. There's a bit of uh, as far as Spirit Tracks goes. Just while I'm mentioning it, I don't want to. I just figure it's a very good uh, segue into that piece of news. Um, and it's not a big thing. I've always said this, which is that even if Zelda news isn't huge, uh, it is, it is something that I've have to sort of pay attention to because I have to basically write up everything on the highlight. Although to be honest, I haven't had a lot of time to do a lot of stuff recently. Although I should be, I should be, uh, having a lot more time, which is why I'm going to discuss something. But I was, I was just going to quickly mention that the, um, the box art for the European, um, Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks has been revealed and I think it's a little nicer than the American one the American one's a little bit cheesy it's just kind of Link standing there with a sword and um, so I just want to mention that but anyway we traditionally talk about Lithcast right now and of course uh, Lithcast.com I post up a few new things of course the forums are always a great place to go Lithcast.com slash forums uh, and they're a great place a lot of Big community, over 74,000 posts on the message boards, moderated by two lovely moderators, Mr. Storm and Endor. And, uh, of course, it's just a great place to be. I'm there. Uh, I'm there a lot of the time. And um, it's a great place to hang out. If you, even, if, even if for uh, technical support, it's actually even not a bad place. Of course, I end up doing a lot of the technical support. But we have a lot of people who know a lot of stuff. And so it's a great place to be overall. Um, certainly if you are a, a parent, I don't, know, I don't know how many parents listen to Lithcast, but if you're a parent with children who want to go to a Nintendo community, I would say that Lithcast has got to be one of the safest, most welcoming and inviting and child-friendly Nintendo communities online. Anyway, there's that. And of course, like I said, I posted up a few things on the website. Um, Charles Martinet pl- plugging Lithcast. That was cool of him. I'm not sure if I played it on the podcast. I believe I did though. And it was very cool. If you didn't see it, though, go to lithcast.com. I also um, posted a little something about just like, oh, follow me on Twitter, d- uh, twitter.com slash dscubed. Some followers would be nice. I've never really appealed for followers. Actually, maybe I did last podcast. But anyway, I'm continuing to appeal for followers. And then finally, I posted up something that I, I wrote last year. But of course, you guys never found out about it because it was sort of done under, not under wraps. It just wasn't something I publicized. And it was a an interview that I did with a guy who was a student, a journalism student in the United Kingdom. And basically, I was asked a few questions. This was about this time last year. And um, 
basically it was about my views on how Nintendo was doing as a, as a company back then. And I thought it was interesting. I wanted just to share some of my, some of the questions with you. Um, it ended up being published, I guess, or portions of the interview ended up being published. It was, I guess, for a degree work or something. And, um, my responses, I suppose, were used to an extent. Um, but it was just kind of cool and it was, it gave me a great opportunity to chronicle and to take down to take account of everything I believed about Nintendo at the time. There were a few questions, of course. You have heard most of the stuff on the podcast. But I wanted to go through this, and I wanted to talk about how these opinions have maybe changed since last year. And um, we'll do that, but I'm just going to first talk about the other what order of business, which is kind of large, and I sort of, because it's been a while since the last podcast, haven't addressed, which is the birthday contest. Last podcast, we celebrated Lithcast's fourth birthday, and we said what we're going to be doing is we're going to be giving away a copy of Wii Sports Resort as well as One Wii Motion Plus. And I mentioned to you that, you know, it's a really cool thing, the Wii Motion Plus. I initially thought, you know what, it'll be a good way for Nintendo to get whatever it is, 20 bucks out of us. And, of course, while I would say that it does make the um, Wii Remote a little bit bulkier, and it's kind of a pain to take it off when you're not using it which is for most games I, I i have to say that it is it does add a lot in the way of motion uh functionality to the wii i mean it does allow the wii motion plus to emulate or sorry to um to uh, virtualize your movements much more effectively nintendo claims one-to-one movement i would say yes when maybe when it's perfectly calibrated um which isn't that hard to do it's just that it can get off um calibration every so often when it's perfectly calibrated i would say that it's it's pretty close to one to one so anyways it's just an amazing attachment of course it comes with wii sports resort and that's what we're giving away and i basically said that we basically have to have um u.s listeners winning this because the problem is that this is an NTSC version, not a PAL version. And but though I said if you if a European listener wins, we'll we'll take care of you. We'll figure something out. And um, so I guess I'm, I they don't even know who the winner is. The winner themselves doesn't even know. And of course, I'm going to announce it here on the podcast, and I will email the winner. So that's actually probably how they will find out. And um, so let me just explain the protocol here. I basically just said you know go to lithcast.com/slash. I think what was it like? slash contest 2009 and just tell us your name your country and you know tell us also why should you win Wii Sports Resort and I said it's not really important because it's random but I said you might want to pay attention to that last question there even though it's random and basically the way what I decided to do was that I I said okay well the good responses we're going to put in the drawing and the ones that I don't think you did a very good response they weren't even they weren't even considered However, the final uh, choice was um, was ultimately done randomly through a random integer generator. And um, we've pretty much picked our winner. Um, and so um, I have for you here the winner of the LithCast fourth birthday contest. And it is Mr. Warren Kivett. I think that's pronounced correct. But basically, it's uh, is it Armory? I think it might be Armory. It's interesting that 
that's what I was. I'll just tell you the procedure in case you're wondering how we did this. Basically, um, like I say, the the fact if you didn't write very much or write anything really or anything really good, like oh because it's cool. Basically, we just removed you from the running, and that removed about half the people who submitted. And then we just uh, used a random number generator and a random integer generator and pick numbered everyone off in order of their submissions. And depending on what number the integer generator gave us, the winner was chosen to be Mr. War Mr. Warren Kivett. And um, hopefully he will review it if he hasn't already. Hopefully he has doesn't have it already. But anyway, we'll, I will send him off an email and uh, make sure that he uh, knows that he has won Wii Sports Resort. So congratulations. Thank you very much for celebrating our LithCast fourth birthday contest with us. And... Um, if you didn't win this year, um, then there's always next year. We're always giving away stuff, and um, it's exciting to uh, to see four years of a podcast, and I'm sure we're going to see a uh, fifth year, and I'm also sure that we're going to see many more years uh, beyond that. So um, let's see. But as I was saying, I just wanted to get to that first before I talked about some of my Nintendo opinions a year ago. And um, so let's get to that right now. So as I mentioned before, basically what happened here was that about a year ago I was asked uh, some questions. I'm not going to give the guy's name just because I I don't know really if I can, but because I uh, was told that, oh, I can't see the article because it went towards degree work, and so therefore it's not. It's about ownership. But I figure I own my own responses, right? And I probably don't oh, maybe own his article, but I think I own my own responses enough to be able to post them on LithCast. So basically, it's all up there on LithCast for you to read, but there were a few interesting questions, and they were just sort of basic uh, questions. They were sort of basic ones. They're nothing too earth-shattering, but it was interesting to, for me, anyway, to look back on this and see what I had thought. And of course, I'm not doing this, of course, to, uh, to harp on myself, just to say that I'm, well... DS Cubed is the voice of reason in the world of no reason. It's not that. It's just interesting for me, at least, to see what I believed about a year ago. Now, of course, you could easily just go listen to the podcast and find that out, but still, this is interesting. And um, so the first question was, how did I initially view the Nintendo press conference? And basically I said, well, I'll just read it. Directly after the Nintendo press conference, I remember being quite perturbed with regard to the announcements. For one, we had all expected announcements from Nintendo that, weren't, that were meant to counter the rising threat from Sony. My personal belief was that Sony and Microsoft, with their respective price drops and developing online platforms, were gaining on Nintendo in terms of delivering what people wanted to see. And I thought that Nintendo should have taken the opportunity to counteract the, that during this year's E3. I remember during the press conference, there, was, there were many opportunities where I was saying to myself, Wow, Nintendo, you can make this into such a Steve Jobs moment if you were to announce something right right here. The whole press conference was sort of an emotional roller coaster for me. There were two instances that stood out to me as the most as most exempl uh, most exemplary of this. And the first was when Cammy Dunaway, Nintendo's new executive vice president of sales and marketing, came out on stage and introduced herself. This was an opportunity for Nintendo, but mostly her, to set their image. Now, everyone thinks of her as an annoying soccer mom who believes that Nintendo fans are all six-year-olds because of her appearance at that press conference, basically, and still this holds to this day. 
The second instance was when the lights dimmed towards the end of the conference, just before the announcement of Wii Music. I felt they could have really used that tension to their advantage by introducing a new Zelda or another core title. There were other instances, but those were just the two that were stood out to me. And then they sat, and then just to give you my commentary on this, I'm looking at this, and of course that was a question that was directed at what I thought about E3, and I still think that that mostly holds true. People still don't really have a lot of respect for Cammy Dunaway. I mean, let's remember here, Cammy Dunaway, it's not because of her position in Nintendo. I mean, her position, the EVP of sales and marketing, was occupied by Reggie Fisame. And everyone seems to like Reggie a lot. Uh, the same has definitely not carried over for uh, for Cammy Dunaway, uh, which is sort of unfortunate. But, um, of course, she sort of, I'm not sure if she wanted to present this way or if Nintendo simply told her to do it, but she gave the image of being sort of condescending to um, Nintendo's core audience, which is which are the people that attend E3. The next question was, should, should or could have Nintendo done things differently, specifically to please the core gamers, or does their new view of E3 make sense? And then I responded by saying, I think that no one actually feels that Nintendo had a particularly good press conference. I was in the broadcast media section of the press conference and was seated next to Wired Magazine, perhaps the largest technology magazine, at least in the United States. I remember Chris Kohler, their main Nintendo reporter, saying on video directly afterwards, words to the effect of, quote, Hi, I'm Chris Kohler, and I'm here at Nintendo's E3 2008 media briefing, where Nintendo has essentially said, if you're a hardcore gamer, we don't want you. And I really do believe that Nintendo should have handled the conference differently. I still say to myself, that had they simply shown a trailer for a Zelda game or announced something like the DSi at the press conference, then they could have completely turned people's perceptions around. I think that what Nintendo was trying to do was to use the sheer size of the E3 conference to announce things that they felt would be good for a massive audience. They felt that E3 is such a... because They felt that because E3 is the event that gets... Bas- that basically everyone... Excuse me. They felt that because E3 is the event that basically gets the non-core gamer attention that perhaps mainstream TV networks and newspapers could cover anything they announced. I think what they failed to realize is that E3 is still, regardless of what Nintendo might have thought, a gaming event, and that the stories that the big TV networks and newspapers run to get their initial boost of attention from the core gamer media like IGN, GameSpot, and of course LithCast. Due to the fact that gaming media wasn't happy about it, Nintendo never really received the attention they wanted from the mainstream media. I personally feel that one of the things that Nintendo, that no one really discussed as speculation prior to the conference, but I feel is something that would have helped them immensely during the conference, and that's Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. I and perhaps almost every other person on God's green earth believe that Wi-Fi connection will be unable to exist in the future the way it is currently configured. In a period of more, not less, internet exposure, we have to understand that the the notion of Nintendo sheltering each of their customers by implementing hard-to-remember friend codes for each game that a person owns and limiting the amount of contact that user can have within games is not compatible with the way most of us live our online lives. We saw recently one of the most anticipated first-person shooters for the Wii, The Conduit. To this day, it still baffles me how few quality FPS games there are given the natural point-and-shoot capabilities of a Nintendo Wii Remote and the Nunchuck. I believe this is not due to the lower graphical performance of the Wii, but rather due to the fact that most people dismiss first-person shooters if they lacked good online play. Good online play 
almost literally cannot exist on Wi-Fi connection, and I felt that E3 was an ample opportunity to revamp it. In the past, someone could have simply written Nintendo a pass, or in the past, Nintendo, someone could have written Nintendo a pass on their online service by saying that unlike Microsoft's Xbox Live, Wi-Fi connection is free. No longer can such an excuse be made because Sony is talking or is taking the fight right to them with the PlayStation Network. In order to stop the rising Sony tide, Nintendo would have done well to restructure their online platform as well as to reveal new games at this year's E3 media briefing. I think even Nintendo was not satisfied with their performance at E3. They actually sent me a postcard a few months back that, at least to me, sounded very apologetic. And then I gave them a link to the Lithcast forum post on it. So I thought, I, to be honest, I really think that that is still, still true. Um, the fact is Nintendo is basically ignoring Wi-Fi connection, and there is just no way that we are going to get less online exposure in the future. I mean, we have um, people now th- saying, like, Internet access is a, is a human right. Um, and there's even if that's not happening, there's just, in my mind, no way that we're going to see... A, a period of more internet sheltering where consumers will demand that Nintendo be my mother and tell me how easy it should be for me to connect online with people to play. And like I say, I think a lot of people would be willing to pay a subscription service like with Xbox Live. They don't even have to make it free, but I just think that Nintendo can't use the free excuse as a for having an inadequate online platform because Sony with their PlayStation network has really taken the fight to them. I still think that's true. And let's see, did I say, what else did I say? I still do believe that also the reason that Nintendo probably didn't get as much coverage as they wanted with their um, announcements was and maybe why Wii Music ended up not being super successful prob- probably was because E3 is a hardcore event. It is where the core gamers go and the news outlets like CNN and CBS, they don't know what they don't know what's good, um, but what they do know is they can read excitement, and that excitement builds from the core gaming community. And um, I mean, even Wii Sports was people were excited about the motion controls. I mean, yes, it's a casual game, but it is. It still had plenty of support from core gamers, and a lot of core gamers like Wii Sports. I mean. So anyway, they said, um, next question was, three months on, how do you look back on the conference some of Nintendo's most, recently, most recent annou- announcements? I said, Nintendo's more recent announcements during their fall media summit were very encouraging. While I still think they could have done more, I feel that they did a pretty good job with these announcements, and I think that they made none of those types of announcements at E3. Made more of those ty- if they had made more of those announcements at E3, people wouldn't have had this general feeling of remiss about Nintendo that they did back in July. Looking back, I do not think... I have any different feelings about Nintendo's announcements than I did at E3. To be fair, I am excited for Animal Crossing City Folk due to come out in about a month. This is perhaps my favorite of all the titles announced at E3 2008, although the game itself did fall slightly below my expectations. Now that Animal Crossing's out, I gotta say, it is a little bit below my expectations. It's almost like Wild World, but not portable. And it uses a Wii Speak, sort of, except you can't really use it with anyone because of, guess what, Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. So the next question was, is the end nigh for E3? And to me, I never really thought about this. Um, I'm not going to read the response, but I sort of was intrigued by what I had to say about it, um, which is that basically 2006, 2007, 2008 were nowhere near, sorry, 2007, 2008 were nowhere near 
what 2006 was. Now, having gone to E3 2009 this year and having a little more perspective, I have to tell you E3 2009 was like 2006, which was great. Now, I didn't go to Nintendo's media briefing this year, but I did go to the, the uh, trade show, and I have to tell you that it was a really great show. And um, I think a lot of people, I think the re- what was at least, um, I mean, for me, they ask, like, is E3 going to die? And for me, an E3 is a big deal. E3 is what really, while it's not what got me into gaming, it's what got me serious about wanting to uh, pursue gaming-related media, uh, the idea of the Nintendo DS. I remember that was really what I thought, oh my god, a, a successor to the the Game Boy, which is my favorite system. My The Game Boy Advance SP is my favorite system of all time. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. Um, so I wanted to do more research. Now, I got to just, to just say as an aside, it's sort of the gift that keeps on giving now that we have Nintendo constantly re-releasing the DS. And of course, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, Nintendo... You can make a DS2 if you want, like one with like nicer screens and like a Wi-Fi system that doesn't suck. So anyway, uh, I just think it's funny because they've been re-releasing the same thing over and over again. And now we hear about the DS, the DSi XL, which of course we're going to talk about a little bit later. But I have to wonder, I mean, how much, they're just making the screens bigger at this point. Like how much can you stretch that same image without improving the graphical capabilities? Although I'm not sure maybe they will improve the graphical capabilities using some NVIDIA chips. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. My point back then, though, was that E3 had the benefit of being run sort of as a, you know, as an event that's meant to impress people. And then basically the companies like Nintendo and Microsoft and Sony said, well, look, I mean, I'm not sure. My guess is... I guess they didn't all jointly say this. My guess is one company because this happened after 2006. And if I had to take a good guess, I would say Sony is the one that suffered a lot after 2006. My guess is Sony probably instigated and said, hey, you know what? We kind of just blew a lot of money on E3. And Nintendo and Microsoft, this could happen to you. What happened to us in 2006 could happen to you at E3 one day. Like Maybe you would just want to tone it down and maybe we should just since we're the biggest three gaming companies, just go to the Entertainment Software Association, the ESA, who run E3, and we'll just ask them to maybe put it in an airplane hangar and then, you know, make it more serious and business-oriented. And I think the problem with that is, and I've said, I said it very, very explicitly in this piece, which is that video games aren't about seriousness. And that's something that trade shows like PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo, really understand. And I got to say, though, had E3 2009 not really been a great success, I would be honest that I think we would see more about, we'd be hearing more about PAX in the future. And PAX isn't exactly, their growth, your growth isn't exactly stunted either. I mean, it's not like that they, it's not a zero-sum game. It's that they, they're growing as well. I mean, actually, a few of our members, uh, what was it, Arbiter, Endor, and Toxic Waste all met to go to PAX, which I thought was really cool on one level. But then also, um, you know, it's a great show for people even who aren't in video game media to attend. And I think the companies, I think what they lost sight of was that E3, I mean, it's about business, but it's, I think a lot of what E3 is for really is for getting media attention and building hype for their games. Um, I guess what I would say is that there are 
companies that go to E3 to do business. And I think, you know, that happens to retailers. But the thing is, with the way the internet is now and the way that we, they can generate that kind, they can do these meetings, you know, remotely almost. They don't even need to have something like E3 to do it. But E3 is an amazing hype builder and an amazing place to make announcements and an amazing place to let the core gaming media try out the games that you want them to try out so that they can put in a good word for it. A uh, game like um, Muramasa would probably not get as much attention as it did had it not won the Best of E3 award. Obviously, I'm sure Ignition Software wanted to cut some business deals, but let's be honest, what's most important to them at that point is making sure that Muramasa is hyped up and that it wins IGN's Best of E3 award or any number of other awards. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, what I said back then was that I, I didn't think E3 was stuck in a spot that they couldn't get out of, but at the same time, I didn't really think that they were going to come back unless they changed their style. Now, I would have to say, though, that in 2009, they pretty much changed and turned it around, which I'm very excited about. So then, then he said, uh, how would you rate Nintendo's decision to add MP3 and camera capabilities to the uh, DSi? And basically, I just said, look, this is something that's made for the Japanese audience in mind. And even Reggie said it was not going to replace a dedicated device, which I have to ask, why do it? Um, and it's like I say, it was really, I think, something that was just meant for the Japanese audience. I mean, in fact, initially when I had written this, the DSi hadn't come out in the United States because Reggie just said the demand hasn't subsided in the United States enough to the point where it's, where it's uh, feasible to release it. So I guess I would have to just say that it was like i said it was probably made for the uh japanese audience and they said should nintendo um look at alternative ways if any of improving the platform and this is like a i don't want to say this is a personal crusade of mine but it sort of is um which is that i think the biggest favor nintendo could do for themselves is to revamp nintendo wi-fi connection this is an update to or an overhaul that would improve everything they have across the board as long as it has Wi-Fi functionality. And this is a service that is being amazingly well exploited by Microsoft. Um, some of the stuff that gets done on Xbox Live is superb, and it amazes me that it works. And Nintendo has a platform with a lot of players that they could bring they could bring online gaming to a lot of people and i feel also that nintendo is especially because i there are certain platforms of theirs that i just feel like it's not only all about wi-fi connection but it's about getting people I mean, there are secondary effects i guess is what i'm saying to improving wi-fi connection i didn't say this in the article by the way but this is what i believe really which is that um nintendo is looking at Wi-Fi connection, maybe, or let's say they want. I think it's it's important for them for the, to make their players happy. But let's be honest, Nintendo's made great games without good Wi-Fi play. I mean, they're still going to make good games without online play. Legend of Zelda Wii. I don't even think anyone's considering it will have online play, but I think everyone's already pretty much assumed it's going to be a good game because there are games that stand on their own non-multiplayer merits. Games like Assassin's Creed, not made by Nintendo, but a very good game. Hardly any replay value. No multiplayer, really. Well, no multiplayer. The only form of multiplayer is, hey, okay, I finished this level, now you do the next one. Um, and there are games that just don't have any multiplayer that are still good. But I think Nintendo tries or has tried to make games that are 
good multiplayer games. I'll give you another great example. Pokemon Battle Revolution. That game was basically meant to be a showcase of two technologies. Nintendo Wi-Fi connection and also the ability for the DS to link up with the Wii. I mean, that game was awful. The fact that... I mean, there was a slight graphical upgrade over some of the N64 ones. And the fact that the game was worse than an N64 version that was made like 10 years before it is absolutely sad. The Pokemon Stadium franchise... I could go on all day about this one, is re- really, really sad. But I think the game actually could have been good uh, because the DS linking technology worked pretty well. They only had to add a few features, but what if online play was actually good? Like, what if you didn't... I mean, I, I could see that it would actually be a lot of fun if just the Wi-Fi connection... I mean, that game, it's, it's a whole game that's based around these basically two technologies. One of them just is outright awful, which is Wi-Fi connection. I mean, think about how much better it would have been. Sure, it wouldn't have been Pokemon Stadium, Heck, it wouldn't have even been Pokemon Coliseum. But still, I mean, wouldn't have been terrible. And so I think Nintendo really could do themselves a huge favor. But it's just beyond the games that they're making, of course, also the third parties have to consider it. Uh, Third-party developers, I mean, one advantage Nintendo has had is that Nintendo gets to, as a hardware manufacturer, has always been able to basically choose what hardware they want. You'll always notice that usually the best touchscreen games are the ones that Nintendo makes, the best motion games, the ones Nintendo makes. Now, of course, there's exceptions to this. But by and large, unless the third parties are going to specifically develop for the Wii or the DS, Nintendo is going to pretty much get the only really great blockbuster games. And a lot of the reason people buy Nintendo, I say Nintendo's a lot like Apple in this respect, is like Nintendo, well, they're not really like Nintendo, Apple in this respect because it's because of where they make their money. But let's just say this much. Apple sells hardware and they probably make their money on their hardware. Nintendo probably doesn't. They probably make it on their software. But why do people really buy Nintendo products? Is it really for the hardware? No, of course not. I mean, I don't think it's for the hardware. Maybe for the Wii balance board. If you have a very specific need for hardware, then I suppose maybe. But pretty much, you were buying it for the software, just like Apple. Do people buy the Mac for the components and because the components are so much better than every other computer? No, of course not. You can get the components cheaper and you probably even get better components if you really shopped around uh, building your own PC. But a lot of it's software. I mean, actually, it's all software. And I think Nintendo's the same way. Would I, if Nintendo did stop making games for Nintendo systems, I don't think I would buy a Nintendo system. I just don't see the point. And so I think what Nintendo needs to realize is that they can change that, especially because they have been trying to, I think, shirk a lot of the responsibility of games, especially the core ones, to third parties. And I think it's going to help them a lot if they can make their platform more appealing to third parties by not just saying that, look, we're not going to make you use um, HD DVDs or we're not going to make you use, or we're not going to make you use Blu-ray. They can also do it by saying, look, we've got this online platform. It's free, it's accessible, and it's it's super easy. We've got the centralized system just like Xbox Live or the PlayStation Network. We got one username. They just pop it in the disk and they're online. They don't have to pay anything for it. And we also have the largest installed base of players. I mean, that's... An, that's an appealing thing because the, the game companies will just say like, oh, well, you're telling me all I have to do is just take a small gra- take a graphical hit basically to my games and then I get this free online platform with the most players. I think a lot of people would, I think a lot of third parties would go for that. And it's not just the third party game makers either. Well, it is, but it's not just the ones that make the discs. Consider, for example, platforms like the, like WiiWare and DSiWare. Uh, Nintendo really ought to be doing two things. They ought to be making the first off the platform as open as they can, allowing developers to very easily develop for the WiiWare and DSiWare. Now, to be honest, I'm not really so sure that's really possible because, or that's happening right now, given the 
games that are out and given the software that's out right now for the the two uh, online delivery platforms. However, I would also say that what they also need to make sure they're doing is that people find these um, two stores, these two ways of acquiring software very accessible. Apple is immensely successful selling games that essentially are the same type of games that would be released on DSiWare, for example. Let's just use the mobile platform because they're the most comparable. You have the iPod Touch and iPhone, which have immense game libraries, but of course they're not in they're not really huge deep games like some of the ones Nintendo will have on their system in cartridge form. But certainly they have games that are just as deep or deeper than the ones that you find on DSiWare. And the reason for that is because it's accessible for the user to go. I mean, do you realize how what a no one really says this, but it's kind of a pain to use the Wii Shop channel or use the DSiWare feature. Because I mean you click one thing and it loads forever or or you have to enter your credit card information over and over again. Why? Why is this? They should just—they should be making this as accessible as possible. And in addition to that, if gamers are used to getting online and to play their games and are used to having like an Xbox Live home, like an Xbox Live panel, you know they can see what's new at Xbox Live. They can see all sort of you know, what should they should buy. I mean, it's all in one place. If users of Nintendo systems get accustomed to playing online and using Nintendo's Wi-Fi connection service because it's good then the rest follows. The users will also start to use, um, will start to purchase things just like they do on the App Store. Um, but like I said, I, I really believe that this is one of these upgrades that Nintendo could do. It's not an easy upgrade, I admit, but it couldn't possibly cost any less than producing a whole other DSi. And I think also it's, something that just will vastly improve all their systems across the board. I think one of the else Nintendo needs to make sure that they do, and this is going to be really tough for them, they need to ensure that this will work with all their games. I know, uh, for example, you have, this is the dumbest thing in the world, um, because the DS, and this is the way Nintendo is, This is just, and this is emblematic of the way Nintendo is with online play. This shows how much they shy away from it. The original DS, the DS Fat, P-H-A-T, and the DSi, or sorry, the DS Lite. Um, you know, actually, let's, let's use the DS, sorry, the DS Fat is a better example. The DS Fat had Wi-Fi in it. Like, it had the antenna for Wi-Fi in it. Uh, but originally, no Wi-Fi games were out because Nintendo just didn't have the online service ready yet. Um, and they didn't realize that it should be a focus of the system. I mean, Microsoft, you, what, you say what you want. Yeah, I mean, Xbox Live is core to the Xbox. It is essential. And Nintendo didn't really do that with the Nintendo DS. And so as a consequence, what we see here is that when they finally did start building in Wi-Fi, they had to sort of put all the protocols onto a cartridge, onto the cartridge themselves. Like when you have edit the connection settings, you can't in the DS and the DSi or DS Lite, you don't edit the connection settings within the DS itself. It's within each game. And then they sort of set themselves then up for having a, you know, friend codes for every single game because they just didn't have it built into the system, even though they had the hardware there in the first place. And so what this has done is that now we finally have encryption now. And we had it even when the first DS was out, but because Nintendo was so um, out of touch, well, I'll just say this much. You know what WPA encryption is? It's a better, not so far, heretofore, unhacked, uncracked version of Wi-Fi encryption, unlike WEP, 
which is what Nintendo DS Lite and DS Fat shipped with. And because, and now the DSi, which is a more modern, more online-friendly system, I would say, because it you know, has the DSiWare and allows for downloads, uh, it supports WPA encryption, which has not been cracked. Um, you know, I, for a while, I mean, until only, until the DSi came out, a lot of the reason to get the DSi was just that I didn't have to make my network insecure um, to use it online. And so what happens is that Nintendo, when they release the DS, um, DSi, say I want to play Mario Kart, which is a game originally released during the time when the Nintendo DS was in its fat iteration. I want to play Mario Kart, which has one of the best online game, probably one of the best online games, or Metro, well, Metroid Prime, or is it Metroid Prime? Yeah, Metroid Prime um, Hunters has one also some probably the best online on the DS or maybe Pokemon. But these are all games that were made when Nintendo didn't have WPA encryption. And so and because they built in the online system into the cartridge individually, they I plug this into my DSI and I don't even get the benefit of having this new hardware. So I think one thing Nintendo has to do is if they revamp their hardware, they've got to find some miracle, some way that they're not going to leave anyone in the dust. Or they have or they have to say you know what? I'm sorry. Those games are we're we're leaving those games behind, and um, but I think they ought to come up with some sort of way to f- to flash your uh, DS lights with some firmware, you know, something to flash it with some firmware. Of course, it's sort of like a homebrew in a way, but um, it's really very annoying because Nintendo is just not, as I said, building in online play as core to their system. So. Um, anyway, they basically have just continued on. I, I said something else about this in an interview. Um, but there was one other thing I wanted to mention, which is, and remember, this is no, not all this is true still, because of course this was written in 2008. And the question was, where do I stand on the issue of hardcore ver- gamer versus casual? And I read this and I thought, boy, I was much smarter back then because pretty much this is really important. And I'll say it again. Um, I say that the Nintendo needs to embrace both. So basically my position is that without the casual gamer, Nintendo just would not be first place. They just didn't have enough of an installed base uh, to make them number one in sales. But on the other hand, Nintendo, I don't think, would have survived the period from 2001 or 2000 until 2006 without their core gaming audience, the people that bought the GameCube. I mean, and Nintendo's enjoyed a lot of success. They were at this time the second largest company in Japan after Toyota in terms of market cap. Their chairman and CEO or former chairman CEO with uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi is the richest man in Japan, thanks to his options for Nintendo stock. Nintendo wouldn't have seen this prosperous time had it not been for the Nintendo devotee and uh, back then who supported them. And I'm actually not saying that there are any fewer titles really that are geared towards the core gamer. It's just that given the number of sales that they're making and the success that they've experienced, there's no increase, which is what we expect because they're using it on these casual titles. But not only that, it's, that's not really what bothers me, but what did bother me were the direct steps we saw against the core gamers. And there were two that were at least perpetrated here in the United States and, or in the Americas. It was the cancellation of Camp Hyrule and the cancellation of Nintendo's insider forums. These are probably trivial for Nintendo to maintain, but I seriously, I mean, I, so they have no, really re, no real reason to take them down. Now, you could say insider was unruly, and you could say Camp Hyrule was like, well, what's the point? But 
these were so easy for them to maintain that unless they had some sort of weirdo business relationship with Lithium, which is the company that sort of they worked with, there's really, I have to ask, why are they doing this? These are direct steps against their core audience, the audience that kept them alive from 2001 to 2006 and allowed them to see these times. And this is the same audience, by the way, who's still buying their system despite seeing no real increase in the games that they've been given or in the uh, core gamers, in the core games, games that have been meant for them. And they've seen no uh, steps taken to move their online platform into the future. These are, these are the gamers. These are the people that care about the online platform. Just because they didn't care about the online platform in 2001 doesn't mean they don't care about it now. It doesn't mean that they haven't, you know, these the core gamers have evolved. Um, I mean, which, forgive me an example, 1990, I don't know, 1995, how many of you out there actually care about online gaming? Probably not very many. But how many of those, but let's say you, but you considered yourself a gamer. How many of you who considered yourselves gamers in 1995 care about online gaming now? The fact is, it's probably a lot of you. And the reason for that is that people evolve with the times. And Nintendo needs to do this as well. Really, using Wi-Fi connection on the Wii is almost like a hack. Because you have to call someone up. You have to do all this preparation before to get it to work it's almost it's it's ridiculous so i have to and like i said nintendo's really has at least Nintendo of america has taken direct steps against these people um the incremental audience if nintendo's wii was not successful let's just say they wouldn't have gone out of business because they still had that audience um that they that they that just loves what nintendo creates and as far as i'm concerned these casual gamers as much as i, I love them dearly as far as I'm concerned, they will dump Nintendo like a bad dream as soon as they screw up or as soon as they stop delivering casual games. But the core gamers, look, they'll buy the casual games. I mean, I bought Wii Music. was very disappointed with it, but they still got my money for it. Um, I bought Wii Sports Resort. It was a good game, and it was a casual game. I mean, the core gamers will even buy the casual games. Now, I would like to see the casual gamers start buying the core games, but I personally can't think of any people I know in real life that do that. But I got to say, though, there is one thing that I was very heartened by, and of course now we've seen the progression of it, which is that Nintendo has brought Club Nintendo to the Americas, um, which is nice. It's a, it's a reward for people registering their games. And admit, admittedly, the people that are mo- most likely to register their games online are probably going to be the core gamers who actually know to do it and actually care about getting a Mario hat, which is awesome, by the way. And I got mine a few days ago, or sorry, a few weeks ago. And... Um, those are that I will admit is probably targeted at the core gamer, and I do think it's I appreciate it. Um, but of course, I have to wonder why they've taken these direct steps against the core gamer, especially in this case of Camp Hyrule and uh, the Nintendo Insider forums. Now, one thing I will say is that if it was, as I mentioned before, the po- uh, the possibility of it being a dispute between Nintendo and Lithium Technologies, which is the company that ran or that managed Nintendo's message boards. And they didn't manage them, they just built them and they provided the foundation for it, as as well as Camp Hyrule. I would have to say, well, well why wouldn't you just instead switch, like, be dynamic about it, switch over to someone else? There are other companies that do what Lithium does. Um, if you have to have someone else host your message boards, I mean, it, it's not super difficult, especially if you can host an online Wi-Fi platform. I would say that the bandwidth and servers are not going to be such a big issue where you can't do it yourself. Of course, um, I don't know exactly the details, but one thing I was going to mention because I was talking about Camp Hyrule was that 
uh, I went to Camp Hyrule today, and it was sort of it was supposed to sort of be open indefinitely until um, I don't know, just like I said, open indefinitely, and you could sort of play the Flash games whenever you want. And Camp Hyrule now direct, redirects to Nintendo.com, so I would just. I mean that's really the that's really the end of an era is uh, what that is. Uh, Camp Hyrule's been around, I don't know what since the early '90s. Um, I haven't attended all that many. I've maybe a few. Although to be honest, I mean I was very attached to to Camp Hyrule. I mean it was kind of a fun fun thing. And uh, let's see, when did it start? It launched in 1995. So it will be sorely missed by me and probably by several others as well. So, oh well. Anyway, that's just what I had to say a few years ago and I managed to kill a lot of time with that. But I want to start talking a little bit about what's more current. Um, we talked about the birthday contest. and I also, But I also want to talk to you just briefly about some news that has come out. There hasn't been too much. Uh, but Nintendo has been talking about the next DSi, and I couldn't believe this. I thought, are you you're kidding me? They're making another one? I mean, they just released this last one. Apparently they are. It's called the DSi XL. At least that's what it will be called in the United States, and in Japan it will be called the DSi LL. Now, Arbiter, who is much more worldly than I am, has informed me that, the re that them calling it LL in Japan is not them being cruel by putting an extra L when they could just have X. Apparently it is a standard, but of course I being the ignorant and um, non-worldly and uncouth person that I am, did not know that. And so I had to um, be schooled by Mr. Arbiter, who recycled waste on the forums, who, by the way, is on the forums a lot. And if you want to hear more about what Arbiter has to say, go to thiscast.com slash forums. And um, so, yeah, just, I thought I'd get the forum plug in. So, um, basically, the the DSi XL is going to be significantly larger than the current one. I'm looking at an overlay here. You can't really see it, but it's much larger. The stylus is bigger. The device as a whole is larger. The screens are four inches, which is just ridiculous. Um, and it seems like some people were saying, well, oh, it's, um, it's, for, it's targeted towards seniors. This well, sorry. The screens are four point two inches. Nintendo says those. That's so. That's ninety three percent larger. The current models, and it includes a normal stylus, but also includes a much larger stylus, um, or a touch pen, I guess, which is good. I mean, to be honest, I don't think the stylus are styluses are particularly comfortable to use. Um, also, the Nintendo said that the Japanese version of the DSi. Excel will include some built-in software. Aside from the DSi browser and moving memo software, it'll include uh, some brain training apps uh, and a dictionary application. And also it'll have a larger battery, probably to power the bigger screens. You'll get about four to five hours of battery on the brightest setting. And so that's about an hour more than the DSi. Um, and on the lowest setting, 13 to 17 hours, which is a significant improvement over Nintendo's uh, DSi, which has only 9 to 14 hours. This is all coming from Nintendo, by the way. And in Japan, it will be shipped in three colors, uh, white, deep brown, and wine red. Um, 
looking at wine red, I think that looks kind of neat. That looks kind of neat, I guess. Um, let's see. And so a lot of people seem to believe that this is sort of more directed at going going after people that are iPod Touch users. And to be honest, I just don't think that it's going to work unless they also intend to um, change the uh, online platform. But I would have to say, though, that it's kind of interesting getting more seniors to play it by using bigger screens. That's interesting. Say, uh, I mean, we're going to see it apparently in the United States. It's not just a Japanese thing, although I was only talking about the Japanese release. Apparently, it's due out in 2010 in the United States. Um, and it'll be out in uh, November 21st, so only in like 20 days uh, in Japan, and the first quarter of 2010 for us and for the Europeans. So. Uh, that was kind of interesting. I have to say that they've really there's a lot of DSs. There's the original DS, the DS Lite, the DSi, and now this one. So let's see. Is that can is that does that make sense? Like the Game Boy Advance there was original Game Boy Advance, the Game Boy Advance SP. Yeah, and then there's the Game Boy Micro. I mean, I think this may be unprecedented for Nintendo to do this. On the other hand, though, you may also. Say, I mean, I don't think I wouldn't say this, but since technically the DSi is supposed to have more graphical capabilities than the DS Lite, you could say that that's sort of a move from the Game Boy to the Game Boy Advance, but certainly we haven't seen that much of a uh, jump in software from the two. So I have to say I'm a little bit mixed up here. I'm thinking maybe they're sort of taking baby steps before they can just see how far they can go before they really have to make a new DS. But I don't know exactly what 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 what's making them do this because I have to just say that I mean would you would you say there was a lot of there wasn't really a lot of demand I think for another DS, I mean, they just released the DSi. I mean, I certainly was, I mean, I think the Wii needs a revamp more than the DS, although I don't think we'll get a, you know, I suppose they, their product life cycles are, you know, I don't know what to make of it, I'll be honest. Um, also, a little side note, I think we've heard this before, but it was just reconfirmed by Miyamoto that Zelda for the Wii will be using Wii Motion Plus. And then I also wanted just to talk about, um, course we're always hearing more and more about the Wii HD which is sort of what people have sort of sort of become the de facto name for the next uh, Nintendo Wii and um, some people say 2011 but it, there's nothing confirmed really uh, and then I also wanted to talk a bit about the last thing I wanted to talk about today since I don't have too much to talk about was a game that I've been playing recently that I purchased, um, which is called Scribble Knots, and of course I, mean, I think I've talked about it before. It was posted about on the message boards, and Scribble Knots is a kind of an interesting game. I mean, I never my, I was telling some friends about it, and one of them was saying, you know, it's just, you know it's not going to work, right? We should never even see anything about the game. He's like, it's a great idea, but it's just not going to work. And to an extent, I got to say he he was. He was right to an extent, but though I got to say, Scribblenauts is in and of itself, uh, regardless of how well it actually works, is still a very good game. And let me just give you a little bit of background on it, though. So Scribblenauts is a game for the Nintendo DS, and um, you are a character named Maxwell, and you basically have to get these star rights. I think that's what they're called, star rights. And basically... You're here, they're over there, there are some obstacles in your way, 
you basically create your own means of solving this puzzle. And what I mean by that is that you can actually, the game is basically a dictionary. Uh, you tell it, a dev you basically type in an object. It has to be, an, it's a dictionary for only nouns. But you tell it something and it will make it and you can use it to your advantage. So for example, you can, let's say there was a, well, I'll give you a good example. There was a star right frozen in a block of ice at the bottom of a of a lake. So you jump into the lake, but you can't swim down because you have to breathe. So what you do is you just you draw you type in grapple, and you get a grapple and you shoot it at the block of ice. And then you pull it pull it ashore and you then take a flamethrower, melt the ice, or take an ice pick, melt and break apart the ice, and um, there you go. So the game is quite intelligent, and it's also sort of a funny game too. I mean, you can uh, you can sort of have a lot of fun with 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 it, and of course you can also design your own levels too. Uh, so you can challenge your friends. I would have to say, and there's a lot of there are a lot of worlds too. It's not a even a small game. I mean, of course, I'm impressed just with the number of uh, words they have in their um, dictionary of nouns, but I'm also just impressed with. Um, I'm also impressed with uh, the actual game itself. Now, of course, visually, it's not the most attractive game, but it doesn't really have to be. It really wouldn't work if it wasn't super cartoony. Um, and um, I would highly recommend it. I guess if I were... There's not much to say about it, because most of what uh, gameplay you, is, you get is self-generated. It is uh, based on what creativity you have and based not so much on the what the game is going to put forth there is no set way to to defeat to defeat things um for example they said like um there might be like a puzzle just a cute one of these sort of the two types of puzzles sort of these cute cutesy ones and there's one where you sort of have to go get the star right then the sort of cutesy ones there they have something like they have a policeman a, a fireman a or the profession, a doctor and a plumber. And if they give them something that helps them do their job. And so you could give the fireman a fire hose, you can give him a fire truck, you can give him a Dalmatian, you can give him a, uh, a fire extinguisher, you can give them an axe. The game knows all this. I mean, the game knows, it has a lot of associations with uh, various devices and it knows how people use certain devices and what type of people use devices. You can type, for example, a thief, and they know a thief's going to have a tendency to steal objects from people or to maybe be a little more violent than a normal person. Um, you can then also say, you know, because I with this group of police, you can give the police officer like a gun, handcuffs, uh, a police car, a donut. I mean, like, you know, it, it's cute about that. Like, you know, you can, and the game knows all these associations. So I'm also impressed with the game in addition to just having a, a wide variety of nouns and a lot of things drawn out by their artists. I'm also impressed by the, uh, the intelligence of the game. It's made by Fitzcell and uh, published by Warner Brothers, and it is a very good game. I would have to suggest that if you don't buy it, at least rent it, because there isn't, um, I think, any need to buy it if you don't want to. I, I bought it, though. I, I will say that much. Um, but, of course, I partially buy it because I bought it because um, I'm not very fast getting th through games, although I would say that this game is not one of these games that you will beat, put down, and say, well, I'm done. Because the game itself is not really based on any sort of story. I mean, there isn't the story is pretty, pretty light, and it's really about 
unlocking your challenges and just testing your brain and seeing how many different ways can you do this? How many awards can you get? Like there are awards for using no weapons. There's, and um, how many, how few items can you use? There's always a par for every single stage and say the par is three, you'll see, well, can I finish this with only one item? I mean, that's sort of how you can do it. Um, so anyway, uh, that's Scribble Knots. I didn't want it, didn't have a lot to say about it, but I had a little bit to say about it. Well, with cast listeners, I am pretty much done. I'm really sorry about this stupid Mac OS 10.6 Snow Leopard compatibility issue. Um, none of my software worked, and then the software that did work didn't work with my hardware any. Son of a, I swear to God, I swear this. These. It was such a minor upgrade too. I I feel like I shouldn't have any compatibility issues. I like Snow Leopard, I guess. Every, everything else except for this. For some reason, audio equipment it seems has is one of the most volatile types of hardware that in existence. I guess because of clocks and I, I don't even know. I don't even, to be honest, I don't really know why. But um, anyway, uh, I think maybe it's, um, I guess this uh, M-Box that I have my is made by Avid, who doesn't really have a great relationship with Apple because they make a competitor to Final Cut. I, I don't know. So anyway, Lithcast listeners, uh, aside from that, I'm, uh, I'm very glad I was able to speak with you. Of course, uh, take... A look at everything we are up to on lithcast.com. That's L-I-T-H-C-A-S-T dot com as well as thehylia.com. Both terrific sites. Um, I would highly recommend both. And uh, I would, anyway, I would have to say that it also has a great message boards. I mean, one thing has great message boards. Oh my God, I forgot one thing that's very important about Lithcast. I'm so glad I do these recaps at the end. Um, so yeah, first let me finish about the message boards. The message boards are great. Lithcast.com/forums. By the way, if I've sound stuffed up today or something, it's because I do have I do have a uh, cold. But um, anyway, so definitely check out the forums. But if you check out the main site, you'll notice I finally I'm finally getting around to actually finishing the implementation of Drupal uh, on our website because I've realized that. The website's great, but it's not a very active website aside from the forums because the forums are an amazing community thing and they're dynamic and they have a lot of content. And I want to make the main site like that too. So we're implementing, we're implementing Drupal. Hopefully we'll have some features like user blogs, uh, integration with the forums accounts, as well as any number of other things. So it should be a, uh, a good... A good website when it's all done, but we're really working on that, and um, you should be looking out for that pretty soon. I also wanted to talk about. I believe do we actually have a podcast question? Um, let's see. Yes, we do, but I can't actually use this one right now. So anyway, sorry. All right, Lithcast listeners. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash dscubed. Uh, check out the Hylia t h e h y l i a dot com for all your Zelda news. We're going to probably be getting uh, Spirit Tracks pretty soon, so I'll be excited to review that and um, to show you guys around it. Maybe do the visual guides. I've never done a visual guide, but I was told that the Hylia is sort of known for doing these visual guides, and of course my natural response is to say, well, yeah, but that's because they had Mike T.S.A. Damiani, the guy with the record in time for Ocarina, for Ocarina of Time, and uh, I'm definitely not him. 
but I thought I would give it a shot and maybe we'll try it with spirit tracks. Be the first visual guide I do. Um, anyway, Lithcast listeners, that's pretty much it. I'm really glad we got to speak today and um, I hope to see you at the next Lithcast.